Chapter 16 of The Radio Beasts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Daryl Hansen. The Radio Beasts by Ralph Milne Farley. Chapter 16 The Beasts of Kuwana. And so Portheris, the whistling bee, returned to headquarters with his message. And so Cabot, the earthman, returned southward in a few paths to the city from which he had wearily journeyed but a short while ago. He had departed a fugitive. He returned a prisoner. On the trip back in the ant airplane, he and Dago conversed freely, out of antenna shot of the pilot. I bear you no malice, my old friend, said the Ant-Man, for I blame Prince Yuri for the unhappy condition of my country more than I blame you. Had it not been for his treachery, our two nations would still be living at peace, as they were when you first set foot on this planet. Were it not for his recent machinations, what is left of Formia would still be living unmolested within the restricted borders to which the War of Liberation reduced us. In such a position, we could win our way back by our mental superiority, our greater industry, and our culture, instead of risking, in the scales of war, what little we have left. Prince Yuri cares not to re-establish Formia. He is merely using us as a means to his own ends, and will turn against us when it suits his private purpose. You and I may yet live to fight side by side against the usurper, but for the present he is the official ally of Formia, and I am fighting for my country. As is just and right, Cabot added. But tell me, how will Yuri and Formia relish your bringing me back alive, instead of dead? I have thought of that, his captor answered. Of course, there is danger that the populace may rally to your rescue. But I do not intend that the populace shall get a sight of you. If Yuri wishes you dead, he doubtless will enjoy killing you with his own hands but I rather believe that he would prefer to have you alive for bargaining purposes. Do you not think that your princess would trade even her beautiful body in exchange for your safety? No, I do not, the Earthman stoutly declared. You do not realize her intense loyalty to her country. For little Q, she might have done so, as he was not only her baby, but also her king. But for me, never. Yuri misplayed, indeed, when he killed little Q. For I am sure that Yuri would rather have Lilla even than the throne. Then why does he not swap the throne for Lilla? asked Dago devilishly. Just what do you mean? asked Cabot. Dago explained. You have cited the intense loyalty of the Princess Royal. Also, you have expressed an opinion that Yuri would prefer Lilla to the throne. 
then would it not be natural for him to offer to abdicate in favor of your candidate, Toran, in return for Lilla's marrying him upon your sudden decease? Which could be conveniently arranged. Such a settlement would bring permanent peace to this harassed continent, and every one would be happy, except, of course, Lilla and you. But you would be dead in the Elysian fields, beyond the boiling seas, and she would be upheld by the consciousness of her noble martyrdom. My God, Miles exclaimed. She might accept that. Never fear, I shall not suggest it, the Ant-Man replied. For I am still your friend to that extent, in spite of the warfare between our two countries. Cabot heaved a sigh of relief. And what a formus, he asked. Oh, answered Dago. She is not the great formus whom you knew. That formus is dead. This queen is merely a newly hatched one, who does pretty much as Yuri suggests. The conversation then veered into personal reminiscences. The two former friends, now captor and captive, each recounting what had befallen him since their last meeting, before the previous war. As Cabot told of his age-long journey northward to rejoin his army, the ant remarked dryly, Poblath will have to invent a proverb to the effect that you cannot kill a Minorian. Cabot laughed and said, He has already done so. The tension was relieved for the first time since his capture. Finally, they reached Kuwana and hovered down onto the landing stage on the palace, the very palace where he and Lilla had lived together so happily as guests of the king, her father. That palace was now occupied by the usurper Yuri and the black hag Formus, and Lilla was here, held a prisoner by the murderer of her father and of her babe. Cabot was manacled, and then was led into the presence of the king and queen. Yuri, the man with a heart of a beast, and Formus, the ant with the brains of a man. Together they stood beneath a scarlet canopy, which set off to perfection the shiny black naked body of the ant queen, and the black toga which her ally was wearing in honor of their alliance. Well, this is indeed a pleasure, King Yuri exclaimed, rubbing his hands as Miles Cabot entered the throne room. Welcome to Kuwana, your cursed spot of sunshine. Formus, permit me to present to you the arch-enemy of your people. The Black Queen inclined her head slightly, but said nothing. Cabot, too, maintained a dignified silence, but his eyes showed the intense hatred and scorn which he felt for the betrayer of his country and murderer of his son. Yuri continued, Tonight you shall be my guest. Tomorrow I shall decide how best you can be made to serve the welfare of my beloved people. By the way, would you like to see your wife? Cabot was caught off guard. Yes, he responded eagerly. Yuri smiled. I think it can be arranged he said. Ho, oh, Sentinel, bring in the princess.
one of the ant soldiers withdrew and presently returned with Princess Lilla, who entered the audience chamber inquiringly. In spite of his studied composure, Miles started forward. Here was his beloved wife, from whom he had been absent scarcely a moment since their marriage, until the cruel civil war had separated them. How he longed to rush to her side and hold her in his love-starved arms and whisper comforting words into her antenna. But, with a great effort, he restrained himself. Yuri must not be permitted to see his emotion. So the earthman stood still as his loyal wife swept into the room. She was no longer the little girl whom Miles Cabot had married, bearing a child, and the subsequent sorrows and horrors which had crowded upon her had made her a woman since he had left her on the fatal morning many sanks ago to fly to the peace day exercises which had turned out so fatally. A beautiful woman she was. Her sorrows had not marred her fair face, and she still outshone all the other women of her race, or of any race for that matter. Cabot noted with a pang that she was dressed not in royal blue as became one who was in mourning, but rather in black, presumably by order of Yuri, in honor of the visiting queen from Antland. Her eyes sought those of the king, then followed his glance until they rested on her husband. For a moment she stood aghast, then rushed across the room and flung her arms around his neck. Miles, Miles, she cried, is it really you? They told me you were dead. Then came the news that you had rejoined your troops and were leading them again to victory. The people believed and were glad. But Yuri told me that it was all a lie, concocted to win the throne away from him, and that your body lay burned to a crisp in the woods north of Lake Luno. Yet still I would not marry him, even for the sake of my country, while there yet was a chance that you lived. But what brings you here, and why are you handcuffed? Dago brings me here, Cabot replied with a wan smile, and I am handcuffed lest I wring the neck of the reigning monarch, which doubtless would give you great pleasure. Yuri interposed. Very great pleasure, your majesty, Cabot admitted with mock deference. Yuri turned to Lilla with a devilish grin and spoke. At last, I have decided what steps to take for the welfare of my beloved country. The assembly will pass a law annulling your marriage on the ground that your husband is nothing but a lower animal. Then you shall have your choice of marriage to me as the price of Cabot's life, or of life with me as my slave and Cabot's death. Two thanks shall you have in which to decide. Meanwhile, the Woofuses shall guard your husband in the arena. I have spoken said Cabot, Choose my death, O princes, for the armies of Cupia will avenge it, and Toron will become king. 
Not Toran, Lilla exclaimed, then caught herself. And to King Yuri she replied, I have chosen, King. You may kill Miles Cabot, if you can. But I will never disgrace Cupia by marrying a beast. There may be some doubt about Cabot being a Cupian, but there is no doubt that you are a beast. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now I have spoken. Which reminds me, said Yuri, not in the least perturbed, that I must kill Poblath too, and add his lovely wife Bethu to my retinue. Ho hum, tis a weary job being a king. There are so many details to look after. Take them away. I am tired. And he turned and engaged in some inaudible conversation with the Black Queen. Lilla flung her arms once more around the neck of her shackled husband. Then both were seized by the ant soldiers and were led out through different exits. During the interview, Dago had withdrawn, doubtless because he felt that it might be difficult for him to restrain himself when he saw the indignities to which he had subjected his old friend. Miles wondered if King Yuri would deprive him of his electrical antenna, for that had always been Yuri's move in the past. But no, for he was dragged away with his set still intact. Then the guard wrapped Miles completely up in a blanket and bundled him into a kirkul. A good sign, thought Miles. It indicates that Yuri fears to show me to the populace. Well, here I am in Kuana, and a lot of good it does me. Anyhow, I have seen my Lilla, and she is well. Also, I know how matters stand at court. The new Ant Queen is a colorless creature. And he smiled to himself at the pun. Somehow he felt the same calm detachment which he had experienced during his trial for treason before the former Queen Formis. He could not help remembering that, after all, this was only a nest of ants. But he lost some of his calm when he found what was in store for him. The Kirkul stopped in front of the Kuwana Stadium, and he was led into the arena. There his shackles were removed, and he was given food and drink. Then five woofuses were led forth. Each woofus wore a leather collar buckled about its neck. To this collar was fastened a pole held by two antmen, and a chain held by another, by means of which devices the clawing, scratching, purple creature was kept under control. Cabot was now placed in the center of a circle formed by five equally spaced posts, each post being about two woofus chain links from the next. To each of these posts was fastened the chain of one woofus, and then the antmen withdrew, leaving Cabot to his own devices. The woofus is the most dreaded carnivore of all poros. It is about the size and general appearance of an earthly mountain lion, except that it is hairless, is lavender in color, has webbed feet, and has pale blue antenna instead of ears. 
a woofus is a match for ten cupians in fair fight, and its chief occupation, when not fighting, is just to sit and howl. Most of the fauna of the planet are either reptiles or insects. Birds are unknown. Mathlabs, fireworms, blue apes, and cupians are about the only mammals. The insects run through all the sizes from tiny bugs up to the ant-men and the huge whistling bees. The reptiles range from the brink, which is a tiny kangaroo-like toad a quarter inch in length, up to the woofus, which I have just described. A pleasant situation for Cabot indeed, to have five of these howling beasts staked about him in a circle. Now he understood why he had been permitted to retain his apparatus. It was so that he might be tormented by the howling of these guards. End of chapter 16